We have been talking about the idea of God being a lover. And 2 Corinthians 5.14 has been kind of this culminating verse that says that the love of Christ controls us. And many in this room could give stories of people doing crazy things because you're in love. And you just go, I don't know what came over me. I was in love. And you know what happens? People accept that answer. They go, oh, God, gotcha. That is pretty crazy. But I get it. You're in love. The love of Christ controls us because we are sure of this. Or another translation says we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. You know what the all died means? It means we're not in control of ourselves anymore. That was the old self. We're convinced that one died for all. Jesus Christ died for all. Therefore, all sin and death and our old way of life, our old way of controlling our own lives is over. Now we're controlled by the love of Christ. I really hope and pray for our congregation that we continue to have stories that do not make sense apart from God being in our lives. I hope we have this filter of love that says, man, I understand now why you did that. You're kind of crazy, huh? You're in love. And people just see that and get that. Life, if you think about it, much of life anyways, is a quest for power. And I think this is the draw of superheroes. Superheroes are huge. It's part of our folklore. It's part of uh, what people talk about. Most people I knew growing up had a lunchbox. They were metal back then. They advanced to plastic, which did not sustain because we used to bowl them as we'd show up to school and try to knock the other lunchboxes out for a strike. It blew my Scooby-Doo plastic one apart in like two weeks. Got in trouble for it. But my metal ones, those things lasted. And those things, a lot of kids came with some kind of superhero, right? And superheroes are defined by their power. I mean, what you could do is you could almost you know, lay out a power and you could define who the superhero was you know, by, by that. And uh, I've shared in this here before, but product of the 70s, and one of the superheroes, it's so hard to narrow down, but one of the superheroes that's really stood the test of time is Superman. And Superman was, was a superhero that I dressed up as one year. And uh, 70s was great because you made your costumes. You didn't go buy a plastic costume. It was all put together for you. You had to come up with stuff, okay? Now, uh, I don't want to creep anyone out too bad, but this is just a part of life. Um, I had some, uh, they had these things, underoos. Anyone remember underoos? Okay, underoos were where you could kind of dress in a way as your superhero or as, you know, Bo Duke from the Dukes of Hazzard, whatever you wanted to dress as. And you'd, you'd wear these underoos, right? That was your pajamas. So I had these pajamas going, and um, and it was Superman pajamas. And then to kind of add to the touch to really make it authentic, um, I was on the swim team growing up. So I had a red Speedo that I put on over my underoos to make it really authentic. Now, all of that would be just sort of so-so without a cape, right? You had to have a cape. So I don't know what we did. We probably borrowed some drapes and dyed them red. I'm not sure what we did, but we did something. It was the 70s. It was awesome. You just figured something out. I had my cape. Now, mind you, this is over kind of West San Jose. I remember doing the block. I could not wait for Halloween to show up and for it to turn dark so I could go out and get candy. Now, not knowing any theology at the time, really, that that would base why you like a holiday, hands down, my favorite holiday, Halloween. I mean, I get to walk around the neighborhood and just collect candy from people. This is a good plan. I, I was trying to figure out a career in this until, you know... Uh, my dentist bill came in. No, but uh, but I, it was finally dark. I got to go, and I remember doing the lap, and I was a little tight back then, so one lap was probably enough to kind of wear me out. And I remember I came flying back. I flew the whole way. I didn't walk one step because I was Superman, and I was flying back up my porch. And uh, at my, my parents' house, they still lived there. Uh, there was two tall bushes at the time. 
And uh, unbeknownst to me, my mom was holding on the fort, passing out uh, candy to other kids who were coming around the neighborhood. And, um, and she had dressed up as a vampire. And she had this giant thing. Now, I don't recommend this. I really don't. And I've forgiven her after much therapy. But giant, you know, cape thing here and, uh, and the fangs and kind of blood coming down. And she was hiding behind this bush right in, as, I, as I flew up to our front yard. And I'm flying up to our front. I couldn't wait to just explode in the door and sort my candy and eat it. And out comes this vampire Dracula thing. And, I mean, it just it threw me back. This, the, the fear, you know that fear that goes down to your toes and your fingertips? And like, yeah! Like as adults, we, we like hold it in. We're like, ah! And like this little pulse just kind of goes out of us. Well, as kids, we just scream. We don't know any better. So I just probably let out kind of a girl scream. Uh, there was a little wet spot, I have to be honest. I mean, it just, it scared me, okay? I was super, super scared um, because I didn't really have the power, right? I was just dressed as Superman, um, didn't really have the power. The, the whole idea of, of power, though, is what we're going to talk about this morning. And the idea that our lover is strong. God reveals himself as a lover to us. I hope you haven't gotten over that. I hope that's not, I hope you're not sick of that yet. I hope that you still marvel at that. I hope that as we sing a song about the everlasting God who's chosen to reveal himself to us, has revealed himself to us in not only family terms, but even more intimate, lover terms. And that's what we're marveling at as we've been going through uh, this series. Psalm 84, let me get there myself. And Psalm 84, there were so many places that I could have gone in the Psalms. We sing so many of them. The hymns are chock full of them about the Almighty God, the Everlasting One, the All-Powerful One, the One who holds the stars in His hands, who, who upholds the weak, all these different things. But I turned to Psalm 84 this morning, and I really want to focus in uh, mainly on one key verse of Psalm 84. We're not even going to read the entire psalm. But I hope that as you go through psalms and as small groups and community groups gather around and look at this idea of God being our strong lover, that, that you will read some of the other passages that are there. But look at Psalm 84.5. Psalm 84.5 makes this, this huge statement. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. That is going to be the focal point of our, our time this morning in the Word. It's just, that, it's just that one idea. Is that really true? Is that really true? And if so, why is that true? And how does that help me? How does that flesh out in my life today? I'm really proud of some of our dads here showing up, not only uh, not only like dragging in, but showing up on time, ready, sitting in service, having checked their children in, and they're relatively put together. We thought about getting all the kids today and just getting a group picture on Women's Retreat Weekend. What do the kids look like? Okay, I don't have a clue what mine look like, to be totally honest. We drove here from El Dorado Hills this morning, so I put them in the in the car in their pajamas, about six something, and we drove. Told them to get dressed, and they're here somewhere. I do know that. Uh, but that would be that would be a fun picture, wouldn't it? Um, but you're here, and I'm really uh, I'm really excited about that. Psalm 84, starting in verse one. Follow along with me. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of Hosts! We talked last week about the beauty of our God. One thing I'd ask is to gaze on the beauty of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of Hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh 
sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Let's pray. God, were it not for your desire, your heart, your purpose to reveal yourself to us, we would be left completely in the dark. We all have a deep sense that there's something much grander and greater than just us going on. Would you humble us this morning? Would you... Would you give us a vision right now as we pray to you, as we collectively lift our prayer to you, that you are an almighty being on your rightful throne. And were we to see you in all your glory, we would all fall down as dead people. God, let us never be flippant. Let us never rush in, not being mindful of who you are. We praise you, God, that you've called us your own, that you've paved a way for us to relate to, to be in relationship with holiness. Give us strength of mind, Lord, even as we unpack your word and discuss things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning with the power source, and then I want to talk about how it gets to the recipients. I want to start with God. Starting with God is a great place in all of your study of life and, and different things. We talked about this when, when hard times come, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Run to God. Start with God. As we talk about power needed in our lives, we start with God. We look to God this morning at the start. To say that God is all-powerful is not a radical statement. People don't even have to be specifically Christian, biblical thinkers, or, uh, or anything to kind of have that concept of God. People, by definition, tend to think of God as, as that way. Even cultures, even religions that would say, there are many, many gods, little lower G, you talk to them and say, but, but yeah, isn't there one that rules them? So many cultures through the ages have that sense. That, oh yeah, that one. Yeah, there's that one. So to say that God is almighty, you don't necessarily need the scriptures for that even. It's a true statement. The scriptures do reveal that, but it's not unique. But to say that God is all-powerful, uh, here's, here's another way to say it, is that God is in control. The one who is all-powerful, the one who has all the power, is really the one who's in control. So there's many of you sitting in here today, and your lives are, are in different places. And so today to hear, to really stop and think and say, God, you are in control, is a worthwhile exercise. That is a worthwhile song to sing back to God and to tell Him that you understand and you know that. God, you are in control. Some of you might fight this morning a 
um, a picture of God that was handed to you through no choice of your own by by parents perhaps or a caretaker that in essence was was a little um, uh, kind of an arch- archetype, I suppose, of, of who God is in your life. In other words, providing for you, protecting you, training you up and raising you. And some of you are going to have to overcome something this morning that when we talk about God as being all-powerful, you immediately have a negative filter to that and you say, man, uh, power is evil, power is dangerous, all power is, is ultimately dangerous. We're, we're, going to, we're going to look at that this morning, but I, w- I would ask you to say, let's just let the Scriptures speak. If that's you, just, just tell God right now, God, Heavenly Father, you might have to cleanse me. You might have to repair me and my broken view of authority in my life. Because it's been so twisted and warped, and it's really done some damage to me over the years. Some of you have no issue and, and can move on without that, but I just wanted to, to address that because I know that there are some of you that struggle with that. Think about this. It's not an overstatement to say this, that all strength finds its source in God. If there was a single source, it's God. So that all strength finds its source in God. Now that raises some questions that we're going, going to look at this morning. Psalm 62:11. we looked at last week, I believe, and it says it really simply in verse 11, power belongs to God. It's his. Now God being revealed as a God of power, which he is, both through the word and through the world, Two books that God's written, the Word and the World, and you just see it. We showed some pictures last week of Yosemite. All you need to do is go to something bigger. You'll get a sense of grandeur. You'll, you'll, you'll get a sense of humility, most of us. And you'll say, wow, there's, there's power here. One small wave that, that you just didn't pay quite enough attention to, but it's a shore break. Boom, it'll knock you out and start dragging you out to sea. And you'll go, wow, there's, there's power there that's a little bit greater than me. That was a little small wave. And, and we have a sense from his Word and 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 from creation that God is powerful. But you know what? It's really not good news yet to say that God is all-powerful. Think about this. There are many people who could say, my lover is powerful. My lover is in control. And yet they're living in a daily hell. Right? Aren't there lovers who are all-powerful, not all-powerful, but really powerful, really in control, and it's a nightmare for that person? It is. It's only good news if God is all-powerful and God is good. Because if God is all-powerful and not good, then it's a bit of a nightmare for us. Some of you have lived through or have loved ones who are living through a person who is married to, in relationship with, a very powerful person who's their lover, and it's a total nightmare. The good news is that God is all-powerful, but that he's also good. How do you know God? How do you know God? How do you know... Uh, th- this, this translates beyond God, but think about this. We can know God by revelation, right? So we see him generally in, in creation. We see him more specifically in the Word... But beyond that, the way you get to know God, one of the great ways you get to know God, is you look at His works. Okay? If you think about it, uh, there's a certain sense that as we look at a, a sports team, I'm a sports fanatic, I love sports, you could look at a sports team and say, this team is really good on paper. What are you interested in? 
You're interested in how they play the game and their win-loss record, right? That's how you say whether they're a good team or, 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 or not. You could say one's a strong team, one's not a strong team. The, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. You want the win-loss record. And then you say, okay, yeah, that's, that's something. So you want to look at their track record. Um, you could go to, to a, a car dealer, and this isn't in my garage, so I have to go to a dealer to find one of these. But you could look at this, you could read all the specs on this, and at some point, there's something in us that says, let's see what this baby can do, right? I mean, I want to see this thing perform. Looks really pretty, it looks really fast, looks like it's, it's a fun thing. But let's see if this thing's really got it. God's power is seen in his track record. And by the way, the character of God is actually seen in the acts of God. Character and acts go together. This is true in your life. You know what Jesus said? He says, you'll know a tree by what? By its fruit. What is he talking about? What's he talking about with fruit? What does the fruit mean? Acts. What comes out of your life? Character, right? What's that woman like when she's, when she's squeezed by life? Man, when you see the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness pouring out of someone when they're squeezed, oh, you know what kind of tree they are. It says, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. Neither does a bad tree produce good fruit. So you want to get to know someone? I could reveal things about, about myself to you, right? You don't know me. So I sit down and say, well, here's all about me. That's the paper. That's, that's not win-loss. That's not really a, a, a track record. That's just me telling you stuff. We've all had people tell us stuff that's a total lie. Yeah, I want to work here. That boss sounds like a pretty great person to work for. You get there and you work and you go, man, it's totally different. God and, and who he is is actually seen in his works. Psalm 111 verses 2 to 3 say this, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. That's a part of what corporate worship is. You know that? It's that we're here studying not just God, but looking at his works, calling them out to one another. I absolutely love going to community group in the middle of the week. I really do. I don't want a pastor, and sometimes it's supposed to feel like a job. It doesn't to me. I love coming to group midweek. One of the things I get to hear is I get to hear the works of God today, in the moment, in the real world that I live in. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. God's power is not hazy, but rather it's, it's clear and it clearly affects our lives and is seen in history. Now that's not to say this, that God's power isn't mysterious. God's power is mysterious, right? We don't know all that there is to that. Talk to Job about that. Job gets some questions at the end of the book of Job. He's humbled into realizing he doesn't really understand much. God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. So we should be taking that stance as we talk about God's power. But it's not mystical and just nebulous. Like, I don't have any clue what this is talking about. It's just something about God is strong. No, no, no. It's knowable. It's not hazy. It's clear. Look at the works of God. Without turning there, just, just think about this for a minute. The Ten Commandments were given to the people of God. Okay? Here they are, 
on Mount Sinai and the and the Ten Commandments come back. And here's how the Ten Commandments start in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. Listen to this. The Ten Commandments don't begin with commands. They begin with the commander. Essentially, it's this. Here's who's talking. Okay, listen. I am the Lord your God. Revelation. Listen to the works. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the Ten Commandments. This is how it starts. Remember the whole plague thing? Remember that one? Remember the parting of the Red Sea? The deliverance? Swallowing up of the army that was chasing you? That's who's talking. Now, you got, you got your attention. You shall have no other gods before me. Isn't that amazing? That's where the Ten Commandments starts. It's the commander saying, here's who I am. Listen up. I've got your back. Not only have I got your back, I've got your front. I've got you surrounded. I've got you in my strong right hand. And let me remind you of my works, my track record, so that you can see I'm not just all powerful, I'm good. That's the Ten Commandments. Studying and remembering and rehearsing the works of God leads to worship. It also leads to peace and joy. And if you could sum it up in a word, it's delight. Those who delight in Him study His works. They love to talk about the works of God. A part of why we need one another is we need, we need each other to help see the works of God in our own life. Don't you agree with that? Aren't there times you don't see in your own life? It's just life to you. It's just a bill collector to you. It's just a bad medical report to you. Or it's just you being faithful. It's just you doing what you know you ought to do. And someone else comes along and says, man, you don't remember. I knew you in junior high. You are not like this. The power of God is at work in you, my friend. That's incredible. It sends a tingle through me when I, when I have someone remind me of that in my own life. And it's powerful to look at someone's situation and just communicate truth to them and say, man, that's God's power at work in you right now. Don't you see that? That's why it's so important. That's why we need one another to help interpret our lives even. Turn to Psalm 105 really quick. Just flip over a few pages. In Psalm 105, the heading in, in the ESV says, Tell of all his wonderful works. Tell of all his wonderful works. And we're not going to take a time to read it, but I want you to look at verse 4 for a minute. Verse 4 says this, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. One thing I long for is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Why dwell in the house of the Lord? It's his presence that, that, that they were after, Right? Where's the presence of God in, in, in our age? Where is it? Is it in Jerusalem? It's in us. Right? God's come and dwelt in us. So, so His presence isn't a place that we go to. It's not a, a temple that we gather around. But it's the presence of God that, that is to be sought after continually. I love here, though, that it spells it out. Seek the Lord and His strength. Our lover is strong. We're to seek his strength. What does that look like? I believe it looks like what Psalm 105 goes on to do. It's reviewing the track record. Win-loss record. What, 
What can this God really do? Let's take a look at it. Psalm 105 does this. Now, we're going to take a ton of time with this, but just glance over it. He makes a covenant with Abraham, swears an oath to Isaac, and confirms it in Jacob. He rebukes kings and calls down famine. He sends a man ahead and then made his people fruitful, too numerous for their enemies or their foes. He commissions Moses and Aaron. He sent plagues and brought people out of Egypt. He covered them, fed them, and provided water from the rock. It's important for us to be reminding one another of the mighty works of God in our lives. It's important as a church family to do this, to just call this out and talk about it. You know what we're doing next week? Next week is our five-year anniversary as Neighborhood Bible Church. And we're going to have a, just a fun celebration with that. And part of what's going to happen with that is we are going to look back and call out some of the mighty things that God has done in five years through this church and in, in, in and amongst our midst. You know what that's going to do? It's not going to bring praise and glory to anyone but God. God, you did this. God, you did that. God, you've, you brought us to where we are. Some of you are relatively new, and this will all be just brand new. Some of you lived through every single step of it. And at the time, some of us didn't realize some of the great things God was doing. But sometimes time has this perspective of looking back on it. Because God is the source, we started with him. But now I want to move on to how it impacts us. God is powerful, and the good news is God is also good. Here's the gracious part. Here's where he goes beyond our wildest imagination in this. He's not only powerful, he's not only good, but he's he's giving. He gives power to people. Isaiah 40, 29 says this, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Worthwhile thing to do, spend time telling, here's how God has empowered this weak man. Here's how God has, has strengthened me in life. It's God-honoring to do that. God gives power. Now, there's two kinds of power that I want to talk about. One is that there's a, a kind of like creation. Creation has some general uh, general revelation, and then the Word of God is more specific or special revelation. There's also power that's given kind of generally, and then there's a special power that's given to the church. And by the church, I don't mean this building. I mean the disciples of Jesus Christ, God's people. So generally, let's talk about generally first. All living beings are given power by God. Think about this. All the strength that you possess currently or will accumulate over the next week or year or decade or build up in your body is a gift of God. Intellectual power. The power to think and analyze and learn and synchronize. Some of you are insanely good at that. Some of you are really physically strong. And you just are, are strong. You have, you have abilities in the physical realm that most of us don't. Some of you are emotionally strong. You have a, a strong sense about you in, in, in different ways uh, that, that, that many people don't. And then spiritual might be another category that you just say, wow, that person's got a spiritual strength about them. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it. I bring that verse up in this moment because of this. My challenge to you, my instruction to you, is is that God gifts you with strength, 
exert that energy to God's glory. Simple, isn't it? It's simple when you're in church. It's simple when you're sitting here. You go, yeah, what, what do I have that I didn't receive? Some of you are going to go watch some athletes today uh, play a game of football. And you're going to see people do things that, that you just go, man, normal people, the average person can't do that. That's why people fill a stadium and pay money to, to watch this person do what they do. But you know what? It's a gift. Can you develop a gift? Absolutely. Is your ability and strength and breath to develop that gift a, still a gift of God? Absolutely. Do you see that all strength, whether you were born with it or you develop it, is just a gift of God? Now, there are many in this world who take their, their gifts that they've received, whether it's strength or something else, and they offer it back to God in worship. Man, what do I have that I haven't received? I'm just going to give this away for His glory. But there are many, many who have received gifts, and they never acknowledge God. They certainly don't give thanks to Him. In fact, they, they go to an opposite extreme, and they boast about it. Like, look at me. I've got this gift. And, and if you stop and think for two seconds, you go, man... Yeah, you've developed it a little bit, but you were born with most of that. You didn't have much to do with, with the starting point of all of that. I would say our athletic and probably academic landscape in our country is filled with people not acknowledging the gift giver for their gifts. And some are outwardly boastful and proud. Some are inwardly boastful and proud. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4 instructs us to do neither. Jesus was asked what the most important commands were. And what he does is he quotes something that a, a good Jewish person would, would quote two times a day. It's called the Shema. Here's what he says. Note that he starts with the person. He says, the most important one, Jesus answered, this is Mark chapter 12, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your filled in strength or might, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your might, with all of your strength. What we're looking at right now is to say, okay, we've looked at the power source. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like to, 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 to worship God with strength? And how do we receive strength from him? One of the questions we're going to dive into as a community group this week is this simple question. Are you worshiping God with your strength? Are you worshiping God with your strength? It's a simple yes or no, but then there's, there's digging deeper that kind of goes into that. And, and I, I hope and pray that God will, will, will grow us in that. I'm going to run through just three institutions that God, that God lays out in Scripture for society. This is still in the idea that God generally gives strength and power to people, whether they acknowledge for it, 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 it for, from him or not. Now, uh, power can be used for good. That means that God's given us power. We t- turn around and use it for the way it's intended, right? I give my kids tools. I'm, not, I'm only going to let them use power tools once I'm convinced they will use that power tool in the way it's intended, right? Otherwise, I will have limbless children because I've let them use a tool that they shouldn't be using, right? Um, and, and, so, and so God gives power, and you, but, but they have a will still. I could be 18 and know how it's supposed to be used, but think pretty confidently I could use it in a different way and not hurt anyone and end up one-armed, right? I mean, that happens all the time. So power can be used for good, power can be used for bad. Power is used for bad when it's given to someone and the rebel in them 
says, I'm going to use this in the way I see fit, not in the way that that God's intended it to be used. Let me throw out a couple of of giant categories for you, and we'll look at these fairly quickly. One is government. Romans 13.1 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Catch this next part, ready? For there is no authority except from God. Where does the strength come from? Where does power come from? It rests in God alone. God is good. God gives power to the government. Does this make a case for a Christian anarchist to still be existing? No. You, you, you should not be a Christian anarchist. Those are diametrically opposed terms. Now, it says, and uh, there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, listen to verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. For he is God's servant. I'm skipping to verse 4. For he is God's servant. He being the government is God's servant for your good. For he is the servant of God. Now, many, many examples in the land of the free where the good power that's been given to an institution uh, set up by God has not been used for God's glory. Right? It just hasn't. Government power is to be used for God's purposes. Let me jump to a... Um, I had a government agency apologize to me on the phone this week. We're going through some adoption things, as many of you know, and I was on a giant conference call, and here was a government agency apologizing and sympathizing for how our case is being handled. Now, as frustrating as some of the rest of the answers were from that, you know what I went away from? I went away from it realizing, wow, as frustrated as we can get in this country, there are most nations in the world, they would never have done what that government agency just did by acknowledging a mistake, by apologizing to its citizens that they are there to serve, and by actually sympathizing with the fact that there are things broken and they're working to fix it. So rather than just have an all-bad view or something, I really went away praising God, saying, God, that's a picture of how government power is to be used. They did not have to do that. Most countries wouldn't have even blinked an eye at doing that to, to, to me as a citizen. Positive example. Let me give you a, a, a massive negative one that's been in our news. Muammar Gaddafi. How many years was he in power? Someone know? 40-ish, right? Okay. 40 years in power. You know what his strength looks like to me right now? It looks like withering grass. Just dust. That's, it was here for a little span of our history, but it's over. He was captured and killed by his own people that he governed. He is an example, and there are so many we could roll through the ages. He is an example of the good power of God, given through the good institution of government, used for evil. To deeply oppress his people. Now, despite his boasting tongue, he's not in control, uh, as he was saying, especially as the deception wore on and he was saying, all these people were supporting and whatnot. Proverbs 12, 13 says this, An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes the trouble. His fruit was seen for what it is. Let me give you another one. That's government. Next one is the church. Jesus, of course, is revealed as the good shepherd. Jesus instituted the church, gives good power 
to leaders in the church. Don't rebel against church leadership just because, just because you, you think it's bad, because you had a bad experience. Let me give you some, some instruction that's given to shepherds who shepherd the, the church of God. 1 Timothy 5.17 says that they're to be hard-working teachers. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. We need preachers and teachers to raise up from this congregation to carry on the work when my voice gets tired and others who preach from the front are no longer able to do it. Are we preparing them? Are we raising them up? Are we honoring it to say, no, 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 there's other people who can handle those things. You need to labor hard. You need to study hard. You need to be trained up well. You need to be qualified to teach and to preach to others. To me, that looks like internships and other kinds of things that we say, this is worth pouring effort and money into to say that we want to be a church that is creating people who are working hard at preaching and teaching. Another one is that they're givers. Good shepherds, like Jesus, are givers. Not just of the gospel, but of life itself. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we loved you. This is the elders uh, talking. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so very dear to us. There's a revelation that a pastor or a church leader can give, and then there's a track record, isn't there? There's a track record that ought to back up. If I stand up here and say, friends, I love you. I love you this morning, and I've been praying for you this morning. You ought to see that. A good shepherd shares the gospel, preaches the truth, rebukes, teaches, instructs, but does it patiently, does it caringly, gives his life, shares it. Finally, uh, I could go on, but let me give you one more, that they're eager examples. 1 Peter 5, 2 to 3. Talking, Peter, talking to elders in how to, how to shepherd, how to lead the flock. God's given you power. Here's how you use it. Ready? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I would just sum that up as you ought to have leaders in the church. If you move here tomorrow and go find a church elsewhere, the leaders ought to be eager examples. Are their lives exemplary according to Scripture? And are they eager to do it? That's the picture Scripture gives to us. Let me contrast some bad shepherds. Just listen. I know it's hard to listen, but carry on. Jeremiah chapter 23 Verses 1 to 2. Woe to you, shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. That's a big woe to the leaders. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and you have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. For a time, God, the giver of power, gave it to shepherds who were intended to do a certain thing, and they destroyed and scattered the sheep, and he withheld judgment. But there's a time coming when false teachers and those tickling ears and those doing it for shameful gain and all of that will be judged. God's going to attend to them at some point. One more, Second Peter 1. Or two, one to two. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. It's happened in the past. It's happening right now. It will happen for our kids. 
false teachers arising among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. There are good shepherds, there are bad shepherds. Everyone's an under-shepherd to the good shepherd. That's a lot of shepherds, right, in one sentence, but you're tracking. All right, one more, the home. Couldn't I go on and on? I mean, there are all kinds of institutions given by God, but we'll just look at three. I'll do this quickly because we talk about the home a lot here, but Colossians 3.21 says this. One example, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't be fooled. The home is instituted by God. It's the first institution that all the others build upon. The marriage that you are anticipating, the marriage that you are about to enter into, the marriage that you've been working at, the marriage that you are contemplating walking away from is a fundamental building block to our society instituted by God. Fathers, I hope you read this verse and I hope it causes you to shake in your boots. I don't care what age you are. This ought to cause us to, to, to quake before God. It's instructing us not to raise discouraged, apathetic, eh, so what, kids. So many, so many discouraged kids. Look around you. So many discouraged kids. But rather to be the opposite, empowered, hopeful, encouraged. Think about the word encouraged. That's putting courage in. Discouraged is taking courage out. Someone to find courage this way. Courage uh, stands strong even when it stands alone. Are you raising your kids to stand strong even if they stand alone? I'll tell you what happens when, when moms and dads read this. Maybe more so for a man. I can speak as a man because I am one. But, but when you look at this, you ask this question, God, how can I pour in more power than I possess or know how to give this kid? So when we read these standards, we could take the standard and we could just lower it a bit so that we can get there. Okay, I can do this. I can give my kids this. Or we can do what we should do and leave the standard where God put it and fall on our knees, lean on the grace of God and say, God... If not every hour, you're with me, strengthening me, pouring into me, I will fail at this. I will not do what you've called me to do specifically. A child is in my care. A grandchild is in my care. A foster kid is in my home. And right now, my charge is this. God, help us. Do you see that? Beautiful. It drives you to a place of, of, of power source that you don't possess inside. So you can cover it up. You can fake it. I'll tell you why kids get so can so turn on their parents in their teen years. They've, they, they've, they've uncovered the lie. Parents can fake it for a season, but there's a point coming where they see right through it. And they've uncovered the lie. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teens in this valley who are, who are depressed and discouraged and angry, fired up at their parents because it was all kind of a show and a sham and they're feeling ripped off. God, lead us to the, to the power source. That's, that's what we need in the home. 
when they're younger, talk and then talk some more about the mighty deeds of God. Not just the mighty deeds of God of old, although you ought to tell Bible stories, but the mighty deeds of this week. Come home and translate your week. Think through your day at work. Think through the grocery store and the interchange you had. Tell of the mighty deeds of God. Walk through creation and show them the mighty deeds of God in a butterfly. It's powerful. When they're older, point to Jesus for strength in character, strength in relationships, strength to press on, strength to stand alone, strength to overcome temptation. I could just keep going, couldn't I? In all of life. Just keep pointing them to the power source. When you go through struggles, let them in on how you run to Jesus to be supported in that. You don't try to just pull up your bootstraps and make it through. Let me move on. I could talk about schools and art galleries and athletics and medicine. What do these people have that they weren't given by God? The very strength to breathe, to go do a workout, to build on the strength they've been given is a gift of God. They didn't generate that themselves. That's all general. Let me move to special now. There's special power that God gives to the church. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And I want you to listen for strengthened and power and able and these kinds of phrases that have to do with power. Ready? Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work, catch where it's at work, within us. Verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We spent a lot of time in Ephesians, church. Who is Paul writing to when he's writing to the uh, Ephesians? That's asked a little bit weird, huh? It's Christians. To the saints who are at Ephesus. He is specifically writing that letter to believers, to those who have been regenerated in heart and mind, and they are a new creation in Christ. That's who he's talking to. Do you see the special power he gives to the church? Go back to Psalm 84, verse 5, for a second. In Psalm 84, verse 5, uh, it says this. Listen for the contrast. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Talking about God. Doesn't that, doesn't that offer that there are those who don't find their strength in God? Of course it does. Don't we see that experientially? Of course we do. So there's, a, so there's a contrast there. The special power that God gives is to the church. Now I want to illustrate this with something we can all relate to, and that is surfing waves as big as buildings. Uh, we've all been there, right? Uh, it's just common. Um, this, is, this is at Mavericks, and... Uh, I love, I love this picture. Um, it, it reminds me of life a little bit. There, there's uh, exhilaration that goes on in life, right? And life is hazardous to your health, correct? It just is. Some of you say, um, I'm, I'm on the board right now, and some of you are you know, the guy that missed the wave, and they're sitting there. Um, some of you are underwater somewhere, in near the rocks. 
Without a greater power than yourself, you could quite possibly drown. Most of us would be out there and we would drown. Um, there's something called a personal watercraft that kind of revolutionized big wave surfing. And there is a guy watching this surfer, two professional surfers, two of the best big wave surfers in the world have died at Mavericks surfing, doing what they're uniquely capable of doing. Here's the rest of the picture, is that there's someone on what's called a PWC, a personal watercraft, watching this surfer, and they're paired up. So that if this guy were to wipe out right now, which at any second, his life is literally being taken into his hands by doing this, he could wipe out, and he needs a power source greater than himself to get out of the mess and the trouble that he would be in. Um, when it comes to tapping in to God's strength, there's a couple of requirements. There's, there's maybe more, but I just want to give you two very quick ones. Keep this picture in mind for a second. Isaiah 40:29 says this, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. One of the first requirements is humility. One of the first requirements for tapping into the power that God has for us is to be childlike, is to be humble. Imagine this guy coming over to a surfer that's in dire trouble, and the guy's like, I'm good. No, I'm fine. You know what? That's some of us, isn't it? I mean, our troubles could, could not be more obvious to ourselves and the whole world. But we put up some weird little, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. I got this. And everyone on the cliffs and everyone around us says, no, you don't. But the pride and the stubbornness of the human heart never ceases to amaze me. Humility is one of the requirements for tapping into the power God has for us. Here's the second one, an undivided heart. To be fully in love is another way of saying that. To keep loving your first love. Church at Ephesus, according to Jesus in Revelation, fully committed, fully in love. Listen to Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I just want to close with a few areas that, uh, oh, by the way, before I do that, I don't know really what's happening in this picture, but it illustrated my point pretty good. Here's a surfer. I don't know what the surfer's doing. His board's off over there somewhere. But, but here's the reality. Sometimes in life, we're faced with two people who are, who are doing this. You're in deep trouble, and they come rushing over, and here's what they're doing. They're saying, here, grab my hand. Come here. I got you. The question is, the question is, who do I grab? Do I grab the guy in the kayak? He's got, he's got a boat. This other guy's got kind of a boat. They're both offering to help me. Aren't there many helps in life that are about as good as a kayak when you're caught on the inside at Mavericks? I mean, if honestly, if, if I'm there inside at Mavericks and a guy comes with a kayak, I would say, I'm good. I would rather be on my board paddling myself than, than, than to be with him. He's not in much better shape than me. God's the, the personal watercraft. There are many voices in your life calling to you saying, hey, come, I've got, I, I can help you. Come on in, guys. Are you guys here to, to stay? Yeah. Come hang out. Just, just find a chair. 
All right, here it is. What does the Lord give power for? Let me just let me just rattle off a couple of quick ones. Here's one, holiness. In justification, God displays his saving power to conquer the effects of sin and death. This happens in a moment. That's justification. That's an instantaneous power that God gives to those who humbly receive it. They repent and they trust in Christ for their salvation. There's an ongoing power, though, in the word sanctification. Sanctification is God's ongoing, perfecting power to form Christ in us. Does holiness always mean happiness? In the end, it does. But in the moment, does it? No. Does discipline seem fun in the middle of it for the kids or the parents? No. In the end, does it produce a harvest of righteousness? Yeah. God is working his power in you to make you holy. You know what's a, you know what's a, a good biblical prayer to cry out to God in the midst of your pain? Lord, make me holy. I know you're saving your ongoing perfecting powers at work in me, so make me holy. Romans chapter 8, 13 says this, For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. goes on to say the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It doesn't say that you might be able to. It says that you will put to death the deeds of the body. That's the power of God sanctifying us, forming Christ in us. It's available to us. Humble, hearts that are fully committed to His. God, give me an undivided heart. Help me to get with a program of what you're accomplishing in my life. The Holy Spirit moves in you, and it moves you from I can't to I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's another one, assurance. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Catch the different laws at work here. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. That's the greater power. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's justification. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, uh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There are times in your life that you need God's assurance. It is, uh, it is good for my kids. I had Kaya, our 15-month-old, a foot from a about a 70-pound um, golden... Re- Retriever barking at my daughter like she was a snack. I don't think she's ever experienced this to my knowledge. And I was not more than 10 feet away. And mind you, this was my brother's dog and he was in a kennel. Okay, so there's a, there's a cage between, between her. Is she in any real danger? No. She's totally fine. But I ran over to her and I scooped her up and she settled down in five seconds. Why? Because she was receiving assurance from her strong daddy, right? I didn't neglect her. She wasn't in real any danger. But that power, that assurance is needed sometimes. That's, that's the strength that, that he gives. Two more. One is to fight the battle. Remember the, the good fight from Ephesians chapter 6? Finally, listen to all these strong, strength, fight, battle, power words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You've got to fight on your hands. Some of you don't know that right now. There are seasons of life I forget that. I forget I'm in a fight. I think I'm at Disneyland. I'm cruising along. And that's when someone takes you out and you're just in shock. What did they do that for? Isn't it just a cakewalk? Isn't life supposed to be comfortable to me? No. We read passages like this. We remember. There's so many other things, but the fourth one I'll just give you is to love and to forgive. Corey Ten Boom is a woman who was held captive in a Nazi prison camp, and we read as a family, we, we listened to the audiobook of The Hiding Place this summer on some different trips. And not in the book, but later on, uh, she's writing in a different book, and she recounts that after the war, she was going around to churches and sharing with people her experience and this unreal strength to get through the nightmarish hell that, that, that she lived through in the war. And you know what her themes are? Her themes are love and forgiveness and the power of God. And at one of these meetings, a person comes walking up to her after the meeting, and it's one of the guards from her prison camp. I mean, put yourself there for a second. Can you even imagine? She says this, I stood there and he had his arm out to shake my hand and he was beaming, saying that he had received the love and forgiveness of Jesus that I was just talking about. And he wanted to thank me. And she said in a flash, in a moment, the leering looks of the guard as she stood there naked in a prison camp shamed beyond our wildest imaginations, had her body freeze. And she said, my arms stood at my side. And in that moment, she said, I prayed, God, would you give me right now the power to forgive even this guard? And she remained frozen. The story doesn't end there. What she does is she prays again. God, give me the strength. Give me the power right now to forgive this man. And something moved in her and her hand came out. And she said that when she touched the skin of this soldier, that something broke in her and it was like a light flooded her soul and she understood that the power to love, the power to forgive is, is, is just in God alone. And it wasn't a forced thing. It was something that God did in her. And she literally was able to love her enemy in that moment. You want to know what God empowers you to do? He empowers you to love and to forgive. Isn't that a lot of life right there? A lot of life is loving and forgiving. It's a huge part of life. I want to just... Read Romans 8 and close with this. What, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can lay down the charade of being strong enough I pray for my friends here. I thank you, God, that as you brought to mind this week and this morning, there are so many examples of strength going on in this room right now that is supernatural. It points to you. It reveals that you're at work in my friends' lives. God, would you show up in more powerful ways? We pray for that in greater measure. Would you help us to soak in this idea that we're blessed when we find our strength in you? God, we give you freedom to do whatever you need to do in our life to to not have our strength in things that won't support us when we need need it most. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the strengthening component of the written word and how you saw fit to knit that together with our spirits to do something in us, God, that literally changes the world. In Jesus' name, amen.